Well, I'm going to continue my, my series called Multiplication versus Division, and we've been going through the book of Acts and talking about how the early first century church, right after Jesus' death, right after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he sent his disciples out and told them to go, starting in Jerusalem, and then go into Judea, and then go into all the world, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And he told them to do that, and to baptize people and disciple them. And this was actually happening. And as we've been going through this series, we've noticed that some amazing things were happening in the early church. People were hearing the gospel for the first time, and it was transforming their lives, and it was an authentic gospel. And they saw that it was transforming the people that had told them about it, and they say, wow, God is doing an amazing thing. And we saw in the, in the last few weeks how a lot of things came into the church from the outside and from the inside that could have easily divided the church. But through the Holy Spirit, God was looking over the church, and people were seeking Him, and the, the church was not divided. So to, to start off today, I want to uh, remind you, I don't know how many of y'all remember this happening in the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. Uh, there was a, a speed skater from the Netherlands named Sven Kramer, and he won the 5,000-meter speed skating event, got the gold medal the first week of the Olympics. In the second week of the Olympics, he was in the finals for the 10,000 meters, and he pretty much led in that race all the way, and uh, he was on, on pace for an Olympic a record uh, in the in the 10,000 meters, but um, when he finished, he did actually set an Olympic uh, record for the speed skating in the 10,000 meters, and he was a full four seconds ahead of the silver medalist. But soon after, as he's making his victory lap, his coach is trying to get him off the ice to tell him that you're not going to believe this, but you've been disqualified. Eight laps of the 25, and the with eight laps left to go of those 25. He had switched lanes, and that was an illegal thing to do, and he lost the gold medal. But the kicker is, or the kicker was in this situation, the only reason that he switched lanes was because his coach told him to switch lanes. And his coach was an Olympian himself, and never in his life, and never in any of his competitions had he ever switched lanes. But when he heard his coach yelling out, switch lanes, he just trusted his coach, and he moved over and it cost him the gold medal, an Olympic record and a gold medal. And as you can imagine, he was devastated. And even worse, his coach was devastated. He goes, why in the world did I tell him that? He was right. I was wrong. I don't know why. I don't know what he was trying to think about. Trying to, he knew he was going for the Olympic record. And he was trying to get him in position to get the record. And so he was devastated. But afterwards, the, the, day, uh, the next day, he, you know, they, have, uh, they make these people go to news conferences. I don't really understand those kind of things after you've had a devastating thing like that happen to you. And he said this. He said, you know, I know my coach feels terrible. You know, I'm angry about the whole thing. But he says, I have forgiven my coach, and we will continue to work together. He said, the past few years have been too good. We have won so much together. You can't just throw that away. And he continued to put his trust and his faith into his coach even after something like that. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, we all can identify that there's going to be times, and you, if you've lived any time at all, there's going to be people in your life that you love, that you trust, that you care about, that are going to let you down, aren't they? It just happens. And when that happens, we, you know, obviously we're upset with that person. We wonder why they chose to lead us into that or deceive us or whatever they did to us. And we're upset with them. And then we have to come to kind of a crossroads where we say, hey... What am I going to do now? Am I going to forgive this person and I'm going to give this person another chance? Or am I, am I going to say, hey, I'm through with this person. 
I no longer can trust them because of what they did for me, and I'm going to reject them and just move on and be done with that relationship. And those are difficult decisions. But when we think about that, as many of us who can say, yeah, I've had someone do that to me. I've had someone that I put my faith in, someone that I put my trust in let me down. We can also say, if we're honest, that we've let a few people down in our lives, haven't we? There's been times where we have been on the other end of that, where we've done something that caused somebody else to have you know, a difficult time in their life. And it was our choice, and it was our decision, and we hurt them, and we know that. So sometimes there's a need for us to need uh, forgiveness as well. And those decisions can be tough when we're trying to do that after somebody's let you down, because sometimes you think, is it worth this next thing that I'm going after involving this person because they've let me down? Is it worth bringing them into? Isn't what I'm going to next more important than their feelings because I just can't trust them anymore? And those are tough things to try to grapple through sometimes in life, aren't they? I know forgiveness is the right thing, but is this person going to hurt me again? I don't want to set myself up. And we all kind of grapple with that sometimes. So I'm going to uh, share with you a situation that happened in the early first century church. Um, that we're going to look at, and it's a situation where two of the leaders got into a sharp, sharp disagreement. That's what the Bible tells us about another person who had let them both down. And one of them is saying, we ought to give him another chance, and the other one's saying, no, this is too important. We can't take this person with us again because they've let us down before, and so they came in sharp. So we're going to look at Acts, the 15th chapter. I believe it's going to be on the screen there for you. And we're going to look at uh, Luke, again, who... Uh, is the writer of the book of Acts, and he tells us what's going on. So we're going to look at chapter 15 of Acts, and we're going to start in verse 36. Yeah, there it is up there. So, so sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That's a great idea. They've been preaching the word of God, and not only have they made disciples and baptized a lot of people, they said, hey, we want to go back and check on those people, and that's really important. We want to make sure that they are moving forward in their Christian walk, and we want to check on them. That's an important thing. Hold them accountable to what's going on. So they decided to do that. And uh, so let's go and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Now, what the Scripture doesn't tell us, but we find in other New Testament verses, is this is actually the cousin of Barnabas. And he says, uh, let's take him with us. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, um, strengthening the churches there. Now, one of my first questions about this passage is, is why did Luke need to tell us that? Why even tell us that these two church leaders had a disagreement? I mean, couldn't we just say that, hey, Paul went on this missionary journey and he took Silas and uh, John Mark went with Barnabas. Why do we need to know there was a sharp disagreement? Because doesn't that kind of make the leadership look bad that they were arguing? You know, we don't need to know all that. Just kind of cover that up and we don't need to know that. But for some reason, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Luke wrote this, he remembered this because he's with these missionary journeys. He knows what had happened. He talked to all these guys involved with the early church and says, hey, let's write an order of what happened. And he remembers this story. It may have come up several times. And he thought through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wanted us to know that these two leaders who had been preaching and bringing people to Christ had a sharp disagreement. And I go, but why? Because there's something that God was trying to teach us through this disagreement. Now, it's interesting. 
you know, and you kind of think, well, was, was Barnabas really, now we know him as the um, encourager. That's what his name actually means, encourager. He's one who is an encouraging person, obviously he was. But you've got to think, was he really being objective here? Because as we read in later passages in the New Testament, this is his cousin. So he's kind of saying, oh, I need to give my cousin. He goes, I know you, I know you like him, I know you trust him because he's your cousin, but you remember what happened. Now Paul and uh, Barnabas on that first missionary journey, they went through some rough stuff. They were in jail a few times. They were persecuted a few times. And when Mark saw some of this happening, he just got out of there and left them and deserted them. And this is just, you know, kind of etched in um, Paul's mind. He's like, I'm not going to take him on this next missionary journey. So we don't know. It doesn't say exactly what the conversation was like. But Barnabas is maybe going, yeah, but you've got to give him another chance. He's young. He made a mistake. He got scared. But you've got to give him another chance. And it seems like, as we look at this passage, that maybe, maybe Paul is coming from this kind of perspective, kind of that sometimes the mission that we're going after, and that's what God's called us to do, needs to take value over the interest of an individual. What we're doing, Barnabas, is too important to let this guy go with us again and desert us. We don't need that. We can't have that. The mission is greater than the feelings of John Mark. I'm sorry, that's the way I feel. Now, we don't know that he said that, but it seems to be that's where he's coming from. But then on the other hand, it seems that Barnabas is going, wait a minute. The mission is great. We're not saying don't do the mission. We're just saying give somebody who had a failure, but I've talked to him. He's not going to do that again. I want him to go with us. I'm saying the relationship is more important than the mission, and we should let him go with us. That's probably where he's coming from. Now, I don't know on what side of that argument you might lean. You might be going, yeah, you ought to give him another chance. But there's others of you who might be listening to this story and go, you know what, no, this is too important. If that guy failed you the first time, he's probably going to fail again, and we can't take a chance on that. This is too important. Now, we're all wired differently in the brains, aren't we? We all think some of us are kind of legalistic, and it's got to be by the rules, rule follower. I'm one of those kind of people. Got to stay inside the lines, okay? That's kind of the way I am. And there's others of us who are great. What's the big deal? Just lighten up, Craig. It's not a big deal. No, somebody could get killed. Somebody could get hurt. I remember getting all red-faced with my kids about that. When you don't listen to me and you don't do exactly what I say, when I say to do it, one day you're going to be running out and you're going to not see that car. I'm going to say, stop. And you just, oh, dad's stupid. I don't have to listen to him. And you're going to get killed. Have you ever had those kind of conversations? This is serious. You know, and they just think you're a nut. But sometimes you get your point across. But other times people want to share grace. No, you just got to give people a second chance. And we know the Bible is definitely about grace. It's such a wonderful thing. But I see these two church leaders who are godly men that have specifically been called to share the grace of Christ to others. But what are you going to do? And so instead of saying... I'm not taking, we're going to take, i tell you what, and I don't know, again, the Bible doesn't, in real specific, I'm, you know, I'm kind of reading in here, but basically, Barnabas goes, i tell you what, I'll just take him with me. He's my family, I'm going to take a chance on him, and why don't you take Silas and go? So the mission wasn't aborted, again, through the Holy Spirit, they're saying, we're not going to say, we're not going to let this divide the church because we have this disagreement over something that's very important, but we're not going to let it divide the church, but my wonder is, did it divide them as friends? You know, have you ever had one of those disagreements with a friend? And it, it, gets, it gets a little bit heated and a little bit heated and a little more bit heated. And you're like, ah, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. But they decided to part ways. And, and again, John Mark is given a second chance by Barnabas and go. And they're still doing the mission. And I know Paul's going, let's kind of see what happens. But it's important for us to look at the end and see what happens as a result of this.
And today we're going to be honoring our graduates in a, in a, at the end of the service. And we've got six, uh, three young men, three young ladies who are graduating from high school. And uh, I want you all to really think about what I'm saying here today. This is an important message that I think you can use in your life about you're going to have disagreements with people. You're going to have people that are really close in your life, and you're going to come up in these situations like this. You're going to go, do I trust this person again? Do I go forward? Do I give them a second chance? And then you're going to be on the opposite end of that, where you're going to do something, and you're going to be begging for somebody to give you another chance, and they're going to be going, I don't know. Should I trust you again? Can I, this is too important to give you another chance, but it's interesting. So can we strongly disagree over an issue with someone and still have a healthy relationship? Is that possible? Some of y'all say, yeah, absolutely, I've done that before. But sometimes it's not easy, is it? Because I know some people, um, you start talking about politics, you talk about certain things, and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I didn't know. And on Facebook during the election, I was floored at some of the stuff people said. And I was like, that's not going to go over well with other people because they don't think that way. (laughs) But this is interesting. In 2016, you remember uh, Justice Antonin Scalia who had a heart attack, I believe, in his bed, died in his bed uh, early. And so a lot of stories came out. He was one of the uh, uh, Supreme Court justices, and he was more on the conservative side. And one of the ladies that's still on the Supreme Court justice is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's a little more on the liberal side. But as all this came out, you all know that she's 85 years old and still sitting on the Supreme Court. Very sharp lady. But... They found out during all this thing with his death that they were actually on completely different sides. They had a love for the law and the Constitution, but they had very different views of that law. But we, we found out that actually they were very, very close friends. She goes, yes. She says, I respect him. He respects me. Did you know that every, um, every time it's my birthday since we've been on uh, the Supreme Court together, he sends me roses for my birthday? And people are going, What? And so the question came up to him one time, how is it that y'all can be such dear friends and have such polar opposite views on the law and things all these years? And he said this, he says, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. If you can't separate the two, you'd better get another job. Now how important, and y'all that are graduating for everybody, but those of you graduating, that is a very wise saying right there. There can be ideas that you attack, but you're not attacking the person. But we have such a hard time separating the idea or the opinion from the person sometimes, don't we? And now I can't see you for anything else except for that thing that I'm against. That's all I can see you now. And I get my blood pressure gets up when I see you. I get, I don't want to even talk to you. I want to walk away. I get uncomfortable around you. Y'all know know that feeling, right? But we have to separate those. And it seems that obviously... Paul and Barnabas said, we've got to separate this. I'm upset with you about this, but we're not going to let this keep us from doing what God's called us to do. And so they part ways. And I don't think either Paul or Barnabas, obviously, they didn't have to get another job. They stayed with the job of proclaiming the good news, the grace of Jesus Christ to people. They just decided they were going to go with different people. They were going to change their travel plans and change their travel partners. But sometimes by giving someone another chance that person becomes an important contributing member of that mission or that relationship that they had earlier hurt in another season. Isn't that not true? When that person's given another chance, because they were given that chance, they become a contributing member of that mission, that organization, or even in that relationship. After one season, 
they had hurt that person or that organization or whatever it is. And that was certainly the case with Barnabas and Mark and even Paul eventually. Because we know Barnabas is the one that's going out on a limb here. He says, I'm going to take him. I'm going to take a chance on him. And we know that he must have encouraged him. He must have discipled him and said, look, I'm not giving up on you. I know Paul doesn't believe in you. And he maybe even had to do some, try to mend that relationship. He said, look, it's not that he doesn't care. You just know how he's wired. He was a legalist to the core. And he is not going to let somebody mess up this mission. That's just the way Paul's wired. You've got to understand that. And so they probably had conversations. But in 1 Corinthians, listen to what we find out later. And this is Paul talking to, a, to the Corinthians, who he's obviously spent a lot of time with. And we know that Barnabas also spent a lot of time with Paul in Corinth at some point. Because listen to this, he's talking about a particular issue that they're questioning him on. He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Now, you may not understand this whole argument, but he's making his defense. And then he says, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to work to not work for a living so that tells us right there in another place in another time Barnabas and Paul are back working together for the same thing it didn't affect their relationship long term they were able to come back together in another letter that Paul wrote to the church at Coloss in Colossians 4:10, he says this my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas you have received instructions about him if he comes to you welcome him. And so now we know that now Paul and Barnabas are back together again. And he's have been given a, a second chance. He's been encouraged. He's been discipled. And now he's saying, hey, this young man is going to come. Be ready for him. You need to welcome him. And then in 2 Timothy, another letter, Paul's talking to another young man named Timothy, and he's getting ready to, to go into ministry. He's actually in ministry at a church in Ephesus. And he says this, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So see, this is another reason you should read the Bible. Read it all the way through, because you find out answers to other things. So he's saying, he is now helpful to me. Yeah, I know it was the guy that I said, we're not taking him with us, but I'm asking you now, Timothy, to bring him to me because he's been very helpful in my ministry. In the book of Philemon, one chapter, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now he's calling Mark a fellow worker. The guy that he didn't want to take, he's now calling him a fellow worker. And in 1 Peter, listen to what Peter says. He says, with the help of Silas. And here Silas comes up again in the New Testament, showing us that Paul took somebody and they were continuing to do the work. The mission never stopped. Just because of this sharp disagreement, the mission never stopped. It says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, as so does my son Mark. This shows you how close that Peter was to Mark. Now, I don't know if y'all realize this. A lot of you know this, and you know where I'm going with this. What if Barnabas had decided to say, you know, you're right. Let's give up on John Mark. We would not have the book of Mark. This is the young man who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And it was the first book most scholars believe. It was the first Gospel that was actually written. And Matthew and um, Luke and others got their information. And because of this close relationship, Peter's saying, He's like a son to me. 
they sat down and talked a lot, and he got all this information. The early church fathers say, we understand that Mark and Peter spent a lot of time together, and that's where Peter got a lot of his information to write the Gospel of Mark, because he spent time with Peter. Now, do you think Peter didn't understand about second chances? Do you ever thought he sat there and said, hey, I understand Paul, believe me, he confronted me to my face one time. I know how he's wired, Mark, but you've got to understand. Don't let that bother you. God has called you. He has something for me. Let me tell you about my three denials of Christ. I was ready to give up. There were people that didn't believe in me, but Jesus even asked me, Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I'm not giving up on you, Peter. You're the guy that's going to continue. And he did because of that encouragement. And so those kind of stories, y'all, excite me, inspire me, and, rec- and help me recognize that we're all going to mess up. We're all going to have times in our life where we're going to do something that deserves for someone to say, you did the wrong thing. You hurt this group of people. You hurt this group of people. You hurt the organization. You hurt whatever. But I'm going to give you another chance because I believe in you. I don't know about y'all, but I can tell you some incidents as an intern at this church with some vans. If it had not been for some people that had some grace on me, I'd be working at Jiffy Lube or something. They had grace on me. I wrecked a couple of vans. And they were ready to toss me out, you know. But by the grace of God, people say, give him another chance. Give him another chance. He's young, he's stupid, he can't drive. (laughs) But down the road, if you just give him a chance, he'll move forward. And I'm thankful for that. And I know, y'all, when you hear these stories, you think about that. So it's important later in life to acknowledge our failures and learn from them, and acknowledge God's grace and power in our lives in spite of our fails. And I bet there were some interesting conversations that Paul and Mark had later. I'm sure he put his arm around and said, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't believe in you, but thank God for Barnabas. Thank God for the Holy Spirit in Barnabas that said, I'm not going to give up on you. And he's not going to badmouth Paul and say, what a jerk, I can't believe he wouldn't take you. But no, it's just the way he's wired. God is using that kind of person and you to bring this whole gospel together for everybody. And we've got to stay in it. We can't let this divide us. And it multiplied the church. It did not divide it. How many of y'all have seen the, the movie, I think it came out in 2003, Seabiscuit about the racehorse? Y'all remember that movie? Great movie, isn't it? And if you remember in that movie, there was a, a, kind of a, a washed-up old cowboy who was unemployed Uh, named Tom Smith, and there's this millionaire, um, Charles Howard, uh, who's getting ready to get into horse racing. And for some reason, he kind of has this interview at a campfire with this kind of washed-up old cowboy named Tom Smith, and they're talking around a campfire, and he basically says, uh, I noticed you rescued this old horse that had a broken leg, and most people would have shot that horse, you know, because he had a death sentence. He goes, well, you know, why'd you do that? And he says, well, you don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a bit. And when, when Charles Howard, the owner, heard that, he goes, that's the man I want to be my trainer for my horse. And so they went out and they bought this horse, Seabiscuit, who had a pretty good pedigree, but was really a smaller horse and had not done very well in horse racing. And they were taking a big chance, but they decided. And this was in the 30s during the Depression. And this horse inspired a lot of people because he was kind of an underdog. And he kind of won a lot of races later on. Um, but they, they purchased this sea biscuit and they end up getting this jockey who I say it's Spider-Man because he played Spider-Man later, but his name was uh, Red Pollard. And he was kind of a big for a jockey. He was 5'7", and usually jockeys are a lot smaller than that, but he was big and really not, had not done real well as a jockey. So you got a smaller horse and a bigger jockey. It just doesn't seem to make sense. 
But the reason um, that Tom Smith picked him is he said he just had this immediate kind of attraction to this horse. They just seem to be mesmerized by each other. And that's the guy that needs to ride him because he understands the horse. And if you saw the movie, you could see that. But what Red didn't tell anybody was is that he was blind in one eye. So in one very, very important race, Tom, the trainer, is yelling at him, don't let him pass. He's going to try to pass you on this side. Do not let him pass. And during the race, the horse passes him. And after the race, he's so mad at the jockey. He goes, what in the world? I was yelling. And he goes, I can't see. He goes, I can't see. He goes, what are you talking about you can't see? And he finally spills the beans and says, I'm blind in one eye. And he's furious. And he goes to the owner and he says, he's been lying to us. He's been lying to us. He goes, what are you talking about he's been lying to us? He's blind in one eye. That's how we lost the race today. We need to get rid of him. And he goes, no, it's fine. It's fine. He goes, what do you mean it's fine? The guy lied to us. He's blind in one eye. That's not fine. He goes, yes, it is fine. And he just puts his hand on his shoulder, if you remember the movie, and he says the very thing that he said to him around that campfire. You don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a bit. And when he said it, it was like, oh, I'm the guy who said that. I'm the guy I didn't want to give up on the horse, but I was ready to give up on a person. And as we know, it turns out to be a pretty good story down the road. And that was, that, was, that was a true story. But aren't we all glad that God hasn't given up on us because we were banged up? And we're banged up, a lot of us, not because of somebody else, but because I chose to do it my way and do it my own way. And God still forgives us and says, I'm not going to throw your whole life away. Matter of fact, I'm going to give my life so that you can have a second chance. That's the gospel. That's the grace in a nutshell, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. And I want to be like that. I want to be that person. My tendency is to be legalistic and follow the rules and do the right thing. Why can't you just do the right thing? And God's going, Craig, you can never always do the right thing. That's why you need my grace. That's why you need my forgiveness. That's why you've needed a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And God gives us that. And we're going to celebrate that this morning in communion together. But before we do, we're going to offer, Van's going to come up and play a song. And we're going to offer a, um, a song. And if you need to make a decision today to say, you know what, I need a second chance. And I've been fighting it, but I need a second chance. And you know what, we want to be a church that gives second chances. That's known in our community that we give second chances. It doesn't mean we wink at sin and say, hey, it's no big deal. But we deal with that. They didn't just not deal with what Mark did. I'm sure there was a lot of awesome conversations, wasn't there? But eventually, Mark came around and started being who God created him to be because someone did give him a chance and held him accountable and showed him grace and discipled him and encouraged him along the way. And we want to be that kind of church. So if you're looking for that kind of church, we want to invite you. I know of one uh, lady that's coming this morning to join our church. Maybe there's somebody else. So we're going to stand together and sing. If you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come forward.